Welcome to this episode of the Down the Pub podcast. On this episode, I am joined by uh, Jed Davis. Just want to get your title right. So I know you're an assistant coach for the first team, and you're also the head of youth development. Is that correct? Am I getting yeah, that right? I think that's what um, the official job title is, as per Matt Fagan and I's conversations. Yeah. Nice. So does it feel good that you have like a longer like name thing on your uh, your desk than <laughs> Jordan and Patrice? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that gives me a little bit of um, no, no, not at all. <laughs> it's kind of one of those things that like, you know, we, we, we there's a, a lot of people in the background of the Wanderers that people don't uh, really get to 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 find out about or or get to to hear what their their story is. So I thought it'd be a really great, great idea to have you on. So I thought we'd just get into your background a little bit, just kind of let people know a little bit more about yourself because. Man, like you're 35, 35, 36, uh, uh, 35. Uh, I was born in '88, so I think that fit. 36. 36. 35. Still 35. 35. Yeah. 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 So, you know, and you've done so much in the game already. So, I guess the first question is like, how did you fall in love with the game? Like, what's what's your background in actually like uh, enjoying football? Because obviously, you're from Wales and that's a, mm. a rugby stronghold. So, yeah. Well, I actually grew up in England. Um, and as you know, anywhere in the UK, that football is is almost a religion. So, it's, it's uh, part of your everyday. It's part of, um socializing at school it's part of socializing in a neighborhood um and i think that my introduction to football was actually <clears throat> in the neighborhood where i grew up i grew up in a little village that we didn't have access to anything and unlike today it's not like we all had uh, i think one of us had an xbox in the neighborhood there was like four of us it wasn't even an xbox i can't remember what it was called um and we played fifa occasionally i think it was like fifa 97 was the first one we were playing um and then, uh, yeah, in that neighborhood, there was, I think there's a group of eight of us that used to play. And luckily enough, out the back of our um, estate, there was um, a grass patch that had four trees, two trees at either end that were, I think there was a yard and a half difference between one goal and the other. So the older ones, myself and the others, would take the smaller goal and would take on the younger ones. And that, that was my introduction to football. Um, but in terms of football coaching, I think that the fact that I never really had a coach do you know, all the coaches I had were team coaches. There were coaches who were parents of teams or, you know, when I got better, we ended up going to a team that was trying to win games. It was always about team coaching. Um, all my school teachers, they were rugby coaches. One of them played for England rugby sevens. Um, so I went to a rugby school, which, as you said, Wales was like that, but so is the southwest of England. Um, and then my interest really is, as I, I was finishing off university and, Brendan Rodgers became a thing that, you know, I'm, I'm a Cardiff fan. He's a Swansea. He was a Swansea coach at the time. He became that annoying thorn in my side. And I went to watch a Cardiff-Swansea game and Swansea were just, I hate to say it, brilliant in the game. Um, so my interest towards, you know, what he was doing at first was a, a team-focused idea. But then as I got deeper and deeper and started to speak with people who were involved, there's a coach called Chris Davis who works there. He was an opposition analyst. Um, and then my network just grew and grew and it ended up being that I surrounded myself with people that were obsessed with making individuals better rather than teams. So that's where 
my interest in coaching comes eventually. Um, you know, how I apply myself to the sport. I love trying to help individuals get better. So um, is, is, is that is that like where the game is now where you know um it's rather than the team it's like it's it's all individual stuff or is that no, just a small part of the makeup of the the coaching yeah i, I think that in, in in england certainly in youth development of course uh, the the helping individuals get better and i think that most people if they say they're an individual development coach or a technical specialist um they're developing a personal curriculum. It's not really about that. Like, the player is not the syllabus. The player isn't the starting point. They're, they're coaching um, a variation of skills they've learned in a sequence with cones. And that's not what individual development really is. I think that's what most people think it is. But actually, if you look at the, the life of a professional now, I don't think they really get much individual work in the average um, in the average schedule. And then in the off season, they do maybe some physical work or they meet up with other players who also in the off season, they do a team style training session. So actually, there's very little individual development happening in the professional world. Um, and I can't speak for all all, uh, all clubs, but the ones that I've been involved in and played against, um, so I've worked for Miami FC and Ottawa Fury, and I think there's very little going on in terms of how to make an individual player, how to invest in a person and make them a better footballer. So is it like you like watching videos of them and realising where they need to improve in their game? Is that is that what an individual uh, development is? Is that like... Yeah, your... it's just part of it. I would say um, the starting point is the player's characteristics and attributes. So, you know, an attribute might be that they're fast, but a characteristic is, you know, like confidence is a characteristic is something you don't see. I think that's your starting point, who they are, um, what kind of player they are. And part of that will be video analysis. Part of it will be um, individual development planning, like goal setting, what their career goals are, um, figuring out what their, you know, the way I approach it is figuring out what their X factor strengths are. So, for example, you know, you look at Callum Watson in the first team, I would say his X factor is, is the energy he brings to the game in terms of pressing, the energy he brings to the game in terms of running and behind and the goals he gets from midfield, um, whether it's a goal or assist or a second assist. So that's Callum Watson's starting point for how to help Callum Watson. Um, just one example. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's the starting point. And obviously video analysis is part of that, training sessions is part of that, role modelling is part of that. Um, this different for every player. When you when you went to university, was it sports related that you did, or did you go and do something else, and then you kind of just fell back into football? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, I fell out of love with the game, um, sort of eighteen, nineteen, and everyone has a story about getting injured, but I won't bring that up. But you, yeah. you end up sort of falling out of love when you're not good at something anymore. It's very hard to still love it. Um, and as I said, I fell back in love with coaching because it was an area that I thought I could be good at. But I actually spent six years at university studying architecture. Um, which was more or less, as you probably imagine, designing a building, standing up in front of 50 people and then getting pelted by people who are going to criticise what you've done. Um, <laughs> and after six years of that, I realised, yeah, I've learned a lot. But And, you know, in my last year, it's a seven-year course in England, in my last year, I decided to commit to writing a book about Spanish training methodology. Um, and I had a big decision to make in that last year. Do I finish this architecture degree, which I'm not very good at, to be frank, um, or do I pursue something that the world is telling me I'm good at in terms of opportunities that I was getting, um, people that were calling me to ask to speak to me, people that I was getting to sit down and speak to. I was certainly much further along the journey as a coach quite quickly than I was in architecture. So Derek won't be calling on you to help him design the new stadium is what you're oh, saying? I, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Unless he wants a big Welsh dragon. At the top. 
<laughs> so so you know you, you mentioned there the, the the book which uh you know so you're you're doing a degree in something totally different so what possessed you to uh to write a book and and, and how did you get a deal like a publishing deal like you know did you send off yeah. a manuscript to somebody or no well um i wrote my thesis at university and i really enjoyed the process of writing a thesis and researching it and that was on something called biomimicry which is architecture that copies nature um, and I found quite quickly when you call people up and ask them questions about their field of work and their passions, they'll they'll tell you everything and they want to share with every piece of information they can. Um, and something just told me to start doing that with football coaches. Um, it was a passion of mine. I followed it. Um, and I got very lucky. Like the people I was speaking to were, you know, Liverpool coaches, Man United coaches, Barcelona coaches. It was remarkable how many people just said, yeah, man, give me a call or you know, I was driving five hours across the country to meet a coach called James Nash, who's um, integral uh, to the way I work. And Nashy, we'd sit in Starbucks for six hours just talking about football. And he was coaching Delhi Alley and all these players, MK Dons, Brendan Galloway, all these players that played in the Premier League. Um, I was fascinated, hooked. So I wrote an article when Brendan Rodgers joined Liverpool. I'd written this article, um, given that I had some insight to the way he was working. And Liverpool Football Club wrote, reached out to me and said, hey, can we publish on publish this on our website? And it had something like 7 million views. Wow. It blew my mind. And I just remember thinking, man, like, I, I'd i like to commit more research, more of my time to calling people and giving myself a reason to call someone. Like, if you say, hey, man, I'm writing a book about coaching. Do you mind meeting with me for coffee? It's Again, it's amazing how many people say yes. Mark Sampson, uh, who was England women's manager at the time, um, people like that, you know, and, and people that I really admire in terms of how they think about the game. Um, so I forget the question. It, it, it was about uh, how did the publishing, uh, yeah, so yeah. yeah, so that happened. And I committed to writing this book more or less for a selfish reason to make sure that, um, I had a commitment to research and becoming a better coach. And I reached out to a publication called Soccer Tutor, and they said yes. I mean, I think they saw. The article success that I was getting online at the time, my social media was, I think my Twitter had gone up to 10 or 12,000 followers, which apparently is enough to get um, some sort of interest in writing a book. So yeah, initially it was through that publisher. And then my second book, which did a lot better, that publisher actually rejected. Um, he said it was written into much of a personal style. Like I, I'd, I'd written it from the point of view of like telling the story about how I met this player that played for Marcelo Bielsa and, they they just wanted more facts and more pictures about what Bielsa was actually doing. But I wanted to tell the story of how I learned and what I was learning about Marcelo Bielsa. So I ended up self-publishing that book. But, it, it you know, my sister, um, the way we ended up doing it was my sister filled a room with 5,000 copies of a book. Um, and by the time she sold the last one, she was like, Jed, no more. Like, I can't do this. <laughs> I, I I still see the, because uh, when I was just doing a little bit of research for, for today, uh, it's still available. Your first book for, for definitely is definitely available on Amazon.com. So yeah. if anybody wants to uh, to get it, but it, it's it's kind of fascinating to me that you know you mentioned there about the, the seven million views and and the book and stuff for like that. That you don't think that people are that much into football. You know what I mean? It's, we're talking about coaching techniques here. We're not talking about like you know mm -hmm. like a footballer's personal life, which you think that most people would be interested in. Did it surprise yeah. you like how many people like? Like want to know? Yeah, I'm. I was actually more surprised as my naivety that that the amount of North Americans that were buying the book. Um, there was a lot of people in England. You can see when when you're selling books, like who's bought it from what countries. Um, 
And I, I was amazed by how many North Americans, Canadians especially, actually. And that, that was one of the reasons I ended up coming to Canada. I, I came here and worked for a youth academy for a summer as a guest coach and sort of fell in love with the place. And was like, I don't really want to leave. I'd quite like to stay here. I was supposed to be going back to work for a club in the northwest of England. Um, and I ended up just staying here working at a youth club. And I got kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so was that like, um, was that the other... Futuro, am I saying that yeah, right? Yeah, Futuro. So it's, it's a youth club that um, have a real clear statement, which is to produce professional university and international footballers, uh, soccer players, sorry. And started in 2011, a guy, a guy called Sanjeev Palmer come up with a club and he is a absolute master in coaching biomechanical technique to children. He'll take a player that can't kick a ball and within a year they... They look like, I don't know, some sort of player that's able to outplay and beat anyone under pressure and then able to smash a ball at the back of the net. And I was mesmerized with what he was doing. Um, and I think we complimented each other well. Uh, I, did a, I did a lot of classrooms and, and off the field stuff and then obviously ran five of his teams as well, which is a lot of players to try and manage. I mean, it ended up being about 80 players. Um, but I loved it. It was, it was one of my favorite ever places I've ever worked. And I've actually worked there three times. Like when I left to go to uh, Ottawa Fury, which was the pro club before Atletico Ottawa. Um, then I went back to Futuro and then I went to Miami FC in the USL, which is the club that Nesta used to coach. And then again, came back to Futuro. Um, but the last time I left, I, I think I think finally seven years of working somewhere and yeah, it ran its course in the end. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to the challenge we have now. I have Halifax. That's that, that's that's amazing that like you're and, and like are you obviously seeing the the fruit of your labor. So I see you like every now and again you'll post a uh or you'll retweet something of a player or something like that. Like is yeah. that is that a, a huge reward when you see like somebody like hit the professional? Uh, the... I was the best man. It's the best. I mean at the oh three oh four oh five ages, the kids that were born in those years, um, none of them made Team Ontario. None of them were recognized by anyone in Canada soccer, but. You look at the 03 team, Antoine Coupland became the youngest ever player to play professionally in North America, uh, in, in Canada. I don't know about the US. Elijah Barr plays at Whitecaps. Eric Lajones plays for Pacific. Tia Walker plays for Atletico Ottawa. Noah Bartner went to Lazio, Roma, and now is at York. Um, I'm forgetting a number of names. There was girls in there who ended up playing on the boys' teams that now play professionally. It was is the biggest reward. And I think the biggest reward was actually during COVID. As COVID was hitting, um, I recognised that we didn't know how long it was going to go on for. No one did, but I recognized that some of these kids aren't going to get to play games anymore. And the people that were still playing games were the youth academies, Whitecaps, TFC, Impact. And two of our boys got signed by Whitecaps. And it was just, that was probably the highlight, I think, of me working was just making sure those two got on the pathway they're on and are still on it. Um, one of them was Elijah Barr and the other one was a kid called Benedict Florent. Um, but yeah, COVID brought his own challenges and own rewards. But that for me was such a highlight during a dark time because I, I lost my job, you know, during COVID, you can't coach teams. Um, I actually poured all my energy into two players the whole time during COVID and just worked with two players. <laughs> again, probably the most insightful period of my coaching was, was how I took two players and committed to, I'm going to make these the best two players I possibly can, or at least trying to help. Cause obviously the players are the ones driving it. And one of them ended up becoming a phenom, you know, like a, a mini Kobe Bryant. Um, she ended wow. up playing in, in the French top division. And what an incredible player. And that for me is the biggest reward. That's incredible, man. So, um, you know, as you mentioned there, you're at the Fury and uh, you're working alongside uh, some distinguished people, I would say, you know, like Paul Douglas, Julian de Guzman, uh, Bruce Grobler. Um, so how did how did that come about? Because obviously you said you were, you were coaching with the, um, with the 
the, the youth team there and stuff like that. So how did that come about to get in? So I actually went, I went back home to England for a spell. Uh, my father was sick and um, I, I sort of needed to be home during that time. Um, I'm glad I did that. I made that decision. But Paul Dalglish is obviously a Liverpool fan. His dad's a Liverpool legend. Um, and at the time while I was home, I, I went back to writing. Um, I didn't coach when I was home. I spent most as much time with my dad as I could. And, you know, after my dad passed and me and Paul kept in touch and he ended up saying, hey, man, will you want to come? Yes, you forgot I was even in Ottawa. It was a complete, you know, had no connection. Um, do you want to come out here and work out here? And it was the right time for me to start working again. So very fortunate. Sometimes things just work out like that. Wow. And, you know, like if, what type of uh, coach was Paul? Because I, I know you, you followed him to uh, to Miami, right? So. I mean, like, he obviously had some sort of connection with him, too. So, like, what sort of a coach was he? And um, did, did, did your time to Fury help you to then work mm. on your technique yourself going forward? Yeah, I think I, I didn't do as much individual work as I would like to under Paul, and that's just one of the reasons I went and took other jobs. But I, I, anyone who's worked with Paul, and I, I don't think he'll mind me saying, he's definitely highly detailed and... He's the sort of coach that, you know, is an assistant and maybe he's changed now. I'm sure he has. But as an assistant, when I first worked in, if you weren't putting cones down quick enough, he would let you know in front of everyone. And that's how he was. He was just that kind of guy. Um, great sense of humor, but real super high standards, um, really detailed. Maybe, you know, he'll admit himself, maybe sometimes the detail he wanted to give the players, either we didn't deliver it well or the players weren't capable of it. So Ottawa Fury was a time where I learned what didn't work more than anything else. Um, when we got to Miami, it was a different situation. We had a lot of the best players in the league. We had one of the biggest budgets. Worked with some of the best players I've ever worked with. And, you know, that was a great time. I just, um, it didn't work out for me in terms of what switches me on. And, and I said earlier, like working with individuals, making individuals the best I can. I didn't feel that that environment was working for me. So that was the reason I, I, I still speak to Paul now and still keep in touch with a lot of those players and staff that I worked with at Miami, but it wasn't working for me. Yep. But but it's it's also like part of life and and jobs and stuff like that. So I realized that the right time went to to leave and not to stay just because it's safe. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're not gonna like you're not gonna learn if you just stay somewhere and you're just gonna like get into a rut. So it's, it's kind of brave that you actually like you know you took a chance and went somewhere else. So 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 when you left Miami, you went back to Ottawa. So did you then know Patrice from? Ontario like the football or did you know Patrice before coming to Halifax I I, I knew the um, Ottawa community really well um, I didn't know the Toronto community I knew the club Vaughan um, actually so the reason I spoke to Pat was I was watching one of his teams play at a showcase we I think I coached against him with my 03 team and he had no two team and it was one of the first times I felt like my hands had been tied behind my back and I just kept getting punched in the face <laughs> I just didn't know, you know, that he was doing things I'd not seen coaches do over here. He was inverting both fullbacks. He had both wingers dropping low and he had some really good talents in that team, that 02 Vaughan team. Um, and then and I didn't speak to him much then. A, a university coach was telling me how much he respected Pat and that gave me some insight because I respect that coach into that Pat might be different. Um, and then a couple of years later, I'm, I'm at a showcase. He's there and I'm watching his team play. And my team at the time had played with a left back that had gone into midfield, an inverted left back. And I'm watching it happen with this small, undersized player that had unbelievable technique. And I just kept thinking, that guy has to be playing pro at the time. He was so much uh, so far ahead of a level. And that, that player was Riley Ferrazzo, which is, which is funny. Wow. 
Um, and I, and I've gone up to Pat at the end and we just, you know, it was two people that both would love inverted fullbacks as not many of us. Um, <laughs> yeah. And just connecting with him and kept in touch with him. I was, I'm sure now I know a bit about what his life used to look like in terms of how many hours of the day it was work. I'm kind of impressed that he managed to find the time of day to apply to all the texts that I was sending, but yeah, I, I really enjoy Pat's vision of the, of the football world. So that's why we connected. And is that how like the opportunity came for you here in Halifax or was it? Yeah. Um... Yeah. He, he called me in November and weren't really sure whether it was going to go ahead or not. And again, I love my job. I had in Ottawa. Um, but it was an opportunity to 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 work with someone whose vision aligned so closely to mine, um, whose teams, to be quite frank with myself, were better than my teams. Um, <laughs> and I was wondering how I was doing that. So I, I saw it as an opportunity initially to spend at least a year, two years, three years working with someone who can achieve what I want to achieve. Um, and it's been, I'm so happy I made that decision because I've learned so much already being here. It's crazy though. Like, you know, obviously it's your job to to train people and to coach them and, and, and whatever. But then you're also learning yourself. You know what I mean? Like I, I just, it, it's kind of weird. Yeah, that yeah. Like you, you just, everybody just keeps continually learning through the whole process. Yeah. It's always amazing. We're, we're all like that. I mean, I, I look at the coaching staff we have now. I mean, there's lots of people involved, but if I, if I refer to Jan, myself, Pat and Jordy, um, who are the four that are together most often, all four of them are constantly pushing themselves to learn. Jordy's, got information about every Portuguese idea possible and his coaching methodology himself is brilliant. Um, and then Jan is one of the smartest and biggest surprises I've ever met. And I said this to him on day one, uh, well, early, and I didn't mean to insult him, but I was like, hey man, for a goalkeeper coach, you're you're quite good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wish he, he would have laughed his ass over that yeah. too. <laughs> but what I meant by that, it, I, of course, he's a good goalkeeper coach, but he's, his football brain, the way he thinks about the game, the way he mentors individuals the way he has a philosophy on set pieces and i i've got a lot of admiration for jan he, he's one of the biggest and nicest surprises i've had in football wow i i don't that's another thing i don't think people actually because obviously he, he played here and he's kind of already a kind of a, a club legend and i don't think people think of that side of him as being like an in-depth coach like a, you know obviously steve he had a relationship with the previous coach and that's kind of how he got the job and i think people probably just felt he's uh he's so intelligent and i think that the way he's humble enough to to pursue if he doesn't know something he'll find out and i know he's told me before like we're having conversations and we're using a language that myself pat and geordie have used um and i now know that he used to go home and figure if it was a word we were using that he didn't know what it meant he would figure that out quite quickly and quite often he already knows the concept. He's just called it something else. Um, but that, man, you don't get to play against Messi and not be. <laughs> yeah. That's that's true. That's true. You know, so I just thought we'd um, just talk a little bit about like your actual role and what your day to day kind of looks like with, with the Wanderers then. So, you know, like what what is your role within, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, Jordan's there and Patrice, obviously John's looking after the goalkeeper. So like on a day to day basis, like what is it that you're actually doing? Yeah, day to day, all four of us um, are sort of involved in every big decision, um, squad selection, the way the team's playing. There's a lot of heated debates, as you can imagine, between the four of us, and you sometimes see it on the bench. Um, <laughs> and um, we're there. We we all have a role in session design. We all have a role in the ideas coming for the next opponent. It's all one machine working together, the four of us. Uh, I would say that the bits I drive are the video analysis post-match. So after we play a game, cutting the video and aligning those messages with what we're going to do in training and then what we're going to do for the next opponent. And also opposition analysis. And what I would say is different about the role I've got now is we're all doing that. You know, like someone's looking at goal kicks, someone's looking at how we build up, someone's looking at how we press. 
all four of us were involved and we all, you know, we would go to Pat's house and sit there for seven hours and all watch games together and discuss it. Um, wow. So I, I, it's not like any of us could take sole credit on any particular part. Um, it's one machine. And I think while we argue and disagree with things, it's, we will have a common respect and understanding that we're trying to do the same thing. Sounds like the match of the day studio. The other part of the job as well is the 23s and 18s, um, which obviously slightly different. And, and the key people involved in that are, are Lewis and Jan and, and Ollie. So there's my, there's four of us again there and, and we work together as well in the same sort of way. So uh, we will get into the uh, under 18s and the 23s in a second, because it's a huge part of the club going forward that you're a huge part of. But, you know, like on match day then, you know, everybody kind of has their like their own little routines and what they kind of do. So what does your game day look like from like when you get up to? Yeah, so game day, game day is um, an hour and 15 before kickoff. The lineups get announced and I'm on my laptop as quick as I can sort of look at any trends or anything we're surprised about. Uh, predicting the lineup, that's normally the one who gets 90% of every lineup right, uh, which is frustrating because he always claims he gets everything right. And, <laughs> but yeah, we, and then first half of the game, I go upstairs in, in one of the, um, what do you call them? The, the, the press ships. box. I've seen, up there, yeah, I've seen you up there in the press box a bunch of times. Yeah. And I'm, I'm watching that from a different vantage point um, and as well tagging the game. So at halftime, I have some video clips to show the players. And then obviously the second half, I'm down on the bench um, helping, with uh, complicated decisions around who's coming on, who's coming off and what we should change. Um, Jan obviously does the goalkeepers and, you know, everyone takes a unit each. So as we're walking out at halftime, we're all speaking to different people. Um, you know, obviously Pat being the head coach, he's giving the main message. So we've all got different roles. Um, Jordy, as you can see, is very vocal and brings a lot of passion to the bench. Uh, as as Pat, and then I like to consider myself the the one that's trying to stay calm and have a different perspective. <laughs> <laughs> trying to stay calm, uh, but but you know, like with, with the just, just I just had a quick question with the the video analysis. So how much how much how much time do you spend with the players during the course of the week, like looking back at the previous games? Like, is there a lot of that, or is it just like you know one day, like you sit for two hours and just go over bits and pieces. Yeah, so, so what the week normally looks like, we have a game day, so it says Saturday. Sunday is a recovery day, and those are more informal conversations with players. We don't sit and criticise on that day because you can imagine emotions are still high. And, you know, if we put a video clip up and single out errors, or it's probably not a good day to be doing that. So we do that on the first day back, which is after the day off. So game day plus three. Um, so that would be your... Your, your Tuesday. So there'll be a 25 minute video, post-match video. And then we spend 10 minutes straight away looking at the next opponent. And we normally try and link some meshes together for those two. Um, so that's that part. And then every day there's some sort of video presentation um, about an attacking part of the game for the next opponent or us and the defending part of the game for the next opponent or us. Um, and Jordy as well does, does video analysis as, and he's presenting and Jan's always speaking to individuals. So all of us work together again on the feedback bit. Do you do that like with, with training sessions too? Uh, we do video the training sessions. I think with the larger staff, we, we would do the same process for training. Obviously, then it becomes information overload for the players. Yeah. Um, right now, we'll just go, okay, this is necessary. Let's include this in that video rather than do a whole post-training video. Okay. Um, but yeah, all the training sessions are filmed as well. So the just looking at the... Um... The, the youth side of the, the, the club, was that always part of your 
uh, of your job role when you when you signed on, or was that something that kind of came on a little bit later, just to uh, you know? Yeah, kinda... it's uh, it was the conversation, the dream, and the vision that Matt Fagan had, um, and that to be honest, that was the bit that really sold me because I was like, okay, well, what am I losing here? Obviously, I'm losing relationships and connections that I formed for seven years at Futuro, but now I'm getting to still work with you, still help develop individuals, still get to coach. And I'm in a first team environment where I was hoping to push that. Um, and, and I've been lucky enough to push that with a few players. Um, so yeah, it, it was always part in the pipelines, but it's, uh, it's something we're trying to get right. We don't want to rush into it. So, you know, there's a long, there's a short term, medium term and long term plan with the youth development side. Um, and I'm really excited with what we can do in Nova Scotia with, with the long term plans. You know, like last year, we obviously had the, the under-23 and they had a couple of showcase games and they kind of done the same thing here in the, the summer with uh, playing against Holston and uh, Kiel. But like when you came in, like were you surprised at like the, the the work that has to be put into it? And like what what was your first steps? Because like? it, it's a hell of a job, especially when we didn't have an under-18s team either, like to try and put all of this together. So like what was your kind of first steps? Were you just like, dear God, or like... Were you... Yeah, no, it could be overwhelming. But one of the nice things, as I said, we're all working together all the time is the 23s. Many of them were in the first team sessions all summer. Um, sometimes we had as many as 10 U23s in the training session. So they've been a big part of the first team success as well, because they've been we've been now allowed to take players who are sore or um, coming back from injury. They get sets off because the 23s are there um, and they're desperate. They're chomping at the bit to get in and play against Rampasad and Mo, Mo Omar <laughs> and Lorenzo. It's amazing for them. Um, so that that made that that part of the job very easy because it was basically one squad, if you were like a reserve team and a first team, um, and they only trained together a few times a week. Um, the challenge became when we added the first team trialist to it, who had maybe two weeks of training before we played Holstein Kiel, and then the other challenge was, as you may have seen, the Holstein Kiel team wasn't an under twenty three team; it had a thirty five year old captain, a twenty nine year old yeah. strike, and it was a real test. They were full time pros, and they're playing against university kids and kids that want to play pro. So I know we lost all three games 2-1, but I was so proud of so many of those kids, man, because they, they went out and proved that if they wanted to move to Germany, which they could because there's an agreement between Canada and Germany, they could play professionally. They could play at some level in Germany. Um, there's more clubs, obviously, in Germany than there are in Canada. So if they don't make the cut of CPL, at least now they know they could go to the third and fourth division of Germany and they've got a shot. I, I was really surprised at the level. Like I, I went to the game here in Halifax, and as you mentioned, like I... You know, we were all told it was on 23 teams. The next thing we see this man mountain of a guy who's like basically looks he's about to get his pension or something. It was <laughs> kind of crazy playing against young kids. But obviously we then brought on Morelli and Rampersat. But it, it was like you could tell that you guys are like there's a philosophy starting to come through the club because yeah. you know when you're around the first team, like these guys are are learning what you guys want from them. Um so so do you do you think like were you surprised that the level of talent here in Nova Scotia when you got here because it's not probably as well known as what Ontario is or BC for you know the, the the pipelines. Yeah, what I was saying, I used this analogy the other day, and it might be a bad one. Um, do you remember Iceland beat England in the years? Yep, yep. And and you know, everyone's like, how is that possible? And obviously, it might be a bad analogy, but Iceland has the quality to go out and beat players, but they only have a depth of let's say. 50 people that can play for that national team. Whereas you go to England and they've got 500 people that can play on the national team and do a job. So I, I think that that's, that's what the challenge we have is, is that we might have, you know, three or four players at each age in this province who could go play in the CPL. 
whereas Ontario has 300. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't mean there's not talent. It just means that those three or four need um, the extra challenge and care um, to, to get them on that path. And then you never know, man. Like there's, there's kids that are 16 that you might look at and go, nah, not a chance. And then at 20, they're, they're the best ones. And it happens all the time, all the time. And you just need to give them the right environment and sort of inspire a bit of high performance. And high performance for me is having a vision of the future that feels and looks attainable, which they're getting. You know, currently with our first team, we have um, 16 roles training. They Three or four of them come in and train with us all week. And and they, I can see it in them. And I can see it in their eyes. They're still learning to walk in and shake guys' hands as they walk in. It's obviously intimidating, but... Um, I see it in their eyes. They're like, hey man, like I don't know what I'm gonna look like as an adult, but I I could get there. And that that's the starting point, I think. Um, so sometimes you know, coaches can try and take all the credit they want, but that that's all they needed. They needed that that vision, that bit of inspiration, and and now they wake up every morning inspired to want to do something, and they get to a point where if they don't do something, they feel like they've wasted a day. And that's the biggest change you can make in a 16, 17 year old. So, so how did you just go about the selection process? Like, how do you just like pick the players? Like, are you are you in touch with the clubs here? Like, obviously, Suburban, Dunbrack, or whoever. Like, the the, the clubs are here in, in 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 the city, and obviously, just teams down outside. Is that how you work it, or like, are you guys scouting constantly? Like, how does the selection process? Yeah, work? Well, it, was it? Are you asking about the 18s more than the 23s? Because yes, two different things. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The 18s. The 18s, we had, um, they've had a few, they had an ID camp before I came. Um, and then we had an ID camp as I got here. And one of the ways we invited people to that is I called everyone I possibly could from people in Cape Breton to Mozzie, who lives in PEI, used to play for me at Ottawa Fury. Um, and I'm I'm from, as I said, Ottawa Futura. We were a club that get overlooked. You weren't allowed to play for Team Ontario because you weren't in the OPDL system. They weren't in the, the talented pathway, they called it. Um, so I made it my mission to make sure I reach out to these people that aren't officially recognized and so and not to reward the coaches or anything like that. I, don't, I really didn't care for that side of it. It was more making sure that no player went missing. Um, and maybe we still missed a few, but we we had maybe 60 people come out and we did three different formats across those three days to analyze and look at players and we probably still made mistakes on 10 of them because it's impossible, you, you know, after three days, but I'd like to think we we identified some real serious talent um when we were doing that and and i didn't even look at the clubs that they were from i know we had that on the database but i made sure i, I didn't want any sort of bias coming into me this person's at the biggest club i think when i started looking at the clubs and looking at the development it was more when i was deciding between five players i was looking at what they currently get and whether they've already been on the talented pathway and they're at a certain level or they've never had any sort of experience because that one who's never had any experience might respond in the best possible way. Um, and that was a decision made over three people, four people that we gave extended tryouts to, and we ended up taking all three. Um, all four were part of the squad. And man, like I said, like, and I don't know if you saw any of the under 18 games, there was a game where I've made a video, a style of play video that I, I was blown away. It looked like the first team the way they were playing. So it was, it was a really rewarding experience. And as I said, the biggest reward now is we have... Um, Yorgos obviously who's on a development contract and then um, there's a, uh, three other players who come out um, one who never would have been looked at by anyone because he's so small but he's technically so good so yeah it's such a rewarding process and, and I think the club's going to reap rewards five, ten years down the line you, you must be like you know like winning the Canada Youth Cup with basically a team that's kind of just been put together in the last like little bit it must have been one of your a good proud moment for yourself too buddy 
Yeah, I think um, I always thought of it as step one. So I'm, I'm not trying to get too ahead of myself, but I think step <laughs> one was get off. But I'd I'd like to think in ten years that the five, six, seven players are in the first team squad, um, and they've come through that process. So that for me will be, you know, I said about that moment where Whitecap signed two of our players. That'll be my moment here um, when we've got six players in the first team squad. It's, yeah, it's just you know, just hearing your passion for it is like you know, it, it shows that the club. It's definitely gone in the right direction and uh you know there's it's it looks like we've got like a proper plan in place and you know i was talking to, to kay lockery and i kind of mentioned to him that you know we, obviously we've got the youth system coming through and then obviously we've got the women's team announced for ne- next year the club is like really going in a great direction you must be proud to be part of it yeah no i think that the club's um gonna grow in culture as well that does still be the challenge when you when you get five six teams what's the culture of all those teams because I said about the visible pathway earlier. That's step one on developing that culture. Um, step two is making sure there's more of a holistic player development in terms of like values and behaviors and things like that. Then there's creating a sense of belonging for everyone. So everyone feels like they're part of one club, which I think this city nails. And for people like you and um, and the podcast, like, this is the first time I've been to a city where there's a genuine fan base. You go downtown and people look at you and go, hey, are you, are you part of the Wanderers? Um, can you sign an autograph? I, I haven't even got the the coach to tell him I'm only a coach. <laughs> um, <laughs> only a coach. So Jesus, man. Yeah. But it's, um, you know, and then, and then eventually you get those success stories and you create internal role models. And I think that that's when the club will be just steamrolling forward. Um, so that's going to take a little bit of time. But once all those teams within the club come together and, and that's the plan, that's, that, that will be a huge success story. And not just in Halifax, but I think in Canada soccer, because we have some truly unique here. There's 6,500 people coming to games. Um, and I'm sure you've been to a few other stadiums. It is not the same elsewhere in Canada, let alone most American cities. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm really grateful for being in this this city right now because we, there's something special going on here. Yeah, you can definitely feel like when you're at the games and uh, even when you walk around the, like the downtown area, especially with the stadium being right downtown, you know, you see the flags everywhere, you see businesses with the the flags in their windows and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's just, it's just so nice to have something for us to... You know, obviously the first couple of years didn't exactly go to plan, but it just feels like there's a real great buzz around everything and everything's going to go in the right direction. And it's it's down, like obviously Stephen Hart had started the step and block saying, you know, Patrice kind of bring it to that next level kind of thing. But, um, you know, just I just kind of want to get your thoughts on, obviously we're coming into the uh, the business end of the, the season. So, you know, we have quite a few games at home and, uh, I know a few people are worried about under twenty one minutes and all this kind of stuff. So, uh, how, how do you how do you how do you see uh with our under twenty one minutes kind of playing out for the rest of the year to make sure we hit that two thousand mark? Yeah, we'll get there, man. And we've got a plan, and that plan more than gets us the minutes. Um, we've sat down as a staff and mapped out who's going to play what game, and you know what the back, second backup plan and the third backup plan is if, if it doesn't <laughs> happen, but. There's definitely a plan. We'll get those minutes. There's no chance we won't get those minutes. Um, I think what's a big part of Pat as well, like Pat believes in player development. He's always made players better um, through the style, through the information. And these young players who have been here, I mean, Kamani, unfortunately, went to, not unfortunately, good for him. He went to university. And Ethan Brown ended up going to Kilmarnock in Scotland. So that was two young players that didn't stay that may have got minutes. But the other ones that are here, they've developed so well. Like Tommy Gerardo is a monster uh, right now and Armin Wilson you guys haven't seen yet but he's he's ready to explode man like, there's guys who are young players that haven't got as many minutes as they would like they, they're going to get them Aiden Rushness the goalkeeper the development that he's done with Jan I've never seen with a goalkeeper before 
You know, Aiden's more than capable of making a save where you don't expect him to make a save. Um, and then there's obviously Thiago, who I don't know if anyone remembers, but the first game of the year wasn't his best game of the year. And, you know, um, he was playing a certain way that maybe didn't benefit him, but he he really, he was the turning point for our season when we, we played Valor last. There's a video clip and we showed the players before where he doesn't touch the ball, but we play out from the back from the keeper, goes out to Geraldo, we make 10 or 11 passes and Massimo Ferran. I can't remember if he hits the post or the keeper saves it. And Geraldo never, uh, not Geraldo, um, Thiago never touches the ball, but he makes maybe 12 runs in that time that stretches the back line back, opens up space for other players. So Thiago's really come a long way and he'll be back in the team. Unfortunately for them, guys like Jao Morelli coming to have all the quality in the world to come in and make a difference. Aiden Daniels is having a season of his career. So, you know, it's not as easy to plan at the beginning, but by waiting their time and getting better and better as the season goes on, they're going to be there, you know, and, I'd like to think there might be a surprise when we get to playoffs who, who's in the 11 and it could be a young player. I love it. You're right though. Like watching those guys, like how they've developed through the season, like, like, like Thiago, like just his off the ball work, like just chasing down people. Like, yeah, like he, he, he leads that press. Like nobody, I don't know many goals. But it must be at least three or four goals. You've got just off the back of him, pressurizing defenders. Like his heat map must be, Incredible, he must be bollocks every time he comes off the pitch. God bless him. I mean, what, what a starting point, eh? What a starting point is a young player coming in. First of all, he doesn't look his age, it's ridiculous that he's 19. Um, <laughs> no. but what a starting point, he comes in and it, he's just running everywhere in terms of defensively. And that's like who he is as a person, man. He's humble, he's respectful, um, he really believes in sort of being committed to, to getting better. And I think that comes out on the field. You see it, it's, there's just his heart is worn in the way he plays. So He's, uh, yeah, he's such a, I'm really pleased with getting to work with Thiago and I, I hadn't seen much of him before, before I came here and he's been a real success story for me. I love it. I love it. I I, I don't want to keep you too long because obviously you've, uh, you, you've got other stuff to do, probably video, videos to watch, but uh, <laughs> man, it's been great getting to know you. Like it, I think this is, it's, it's great for um, everybody to kind of get to know what it is that you do and just to hear your passion, because that's the thing. You know, we get to hear from Patrice at his press conferences and, you know, the, the, the media calls and all that kind of stuff. And yourself and Jordan are kind of, you know, you're integral to the success of the club. But people don't always get to hear uh, your story or uh, what you're about. So, man, um, thanks, Mel, for hanging out. I really appreciate it. No worries, man. Thanks. And I'll just say again, mate, and, and I know I don't know how often you hear this, but like the fact that there's a podcast about the team and we all listen to it, all the players, the staff, um, and I don't know how many views you get, but it's it's integ- like it's integral to part of the club's culture that there's a podcast and people writing blogs about it. So we're really grateful for for what you do. No, man, I really appreciate that. Thanks, Bill. Uh, that, I, I'll try not to um, uh, say anything bad going forward so that you guys don't feel so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I really appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for giving me your time. And uh, I'll, I'll see you at the grounds or might see you downtown for a beer sometime. Okay. Thanks, Anthony. Take care, buddy. Cheers. Get out! Out to fuck!